This is the Sustainable Goat Podcast. We look to nature for how we should interrelate to the world. All the answers are within nature if we take the time to listen. But what we have to find is a reasonable way how to handle plastic. You know, consumers expect more. They're expecting brands to be more sustainable. They're choosing sustainable brands. These are the stories and ideas from those that will define a generation. I'm your host, Steve Kassinem, and this is our planet in focus. I would love to start with just a little bit about your background and just where do you originally come from and who are you? I was born in Chicago, lived there for five months, not really relevant to my life. I was raised in New York. I am South Asian, so both my parents are from Pakistan, which means I grew up with a very like type A hustle, you got to do this mentality, make them proud. And they actually told me when I was younger that I could either be a doctor or a lawyer. Like that was it. There was no other career. Like I didn't even know business school was a thing until I went to college. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like there's so many businesses. <laughs> so I did what they wanted. I became a lawyer. I had a very successful legal career. I held a couple executive roles and I practiced for 13 years. And February of 2020, I realized. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to do something that has an impact. Like I, I want to make a difference. And I was already on this like, what's my waste footprint kind of journey. And so I thought, okay, what can I do? And I had listened to a ton of podcasts. So I listened to how I built this a lot. Like I got really into it. And I was doing this to be magnetic program, which is all about like, what do you want to do with your life and listening to a lot of Gabby Bernstein. And because I was already into sustainability, I was like, mm, I kind of feel like there's this white space where it's taking me so much time to find sustainable fashion, not only research brands, but like, what does sustainability mean? Like, what does this brand care about? And I'm spending hours and hours and doing it. And if someone just did it for me and like created one store, I would shop there and I would love it. And so I was like, you know what? Why not try it? Why not just leave your cushy legal career and start a new company? So that's how we got here. Wow. And I think the legal career, I think, has its own parallels with starting a business. I mean, you have probably the higher higher amount of hours and kind of a different way of approaching problems and stuff. Where did you kind of start to find your fascination with, I mean, even just looking at your waste? I mean, because as a, as a legal career, I would imagine there's papers everywhere and you need those. That's part of the business. Yeah. And it's a good point that you raised. So it didn't really happen with work because I was like, there's just no way like, you know, I'm 40. Okay. So I can't read on a tablet and edit or like only look at the computer. I would print everything out and like handwrite my notes into it. And we've talked about this before. You can't be perfect. That's just not how it is. It became more of all of a sudden, I actually had a friend who would never put a plastic lid on her coffee. And I was like, why don't you have a plastic lid? Like, I just thought that was so weird. And she's like, what do I need it for? Like, I'm literally going to drink this coffee right now. What do you want me to cover it for? And I was like, okay. And some time passed. And I was like, she's right. I would get my coffee either at the kitchen in the office or at the coffee place right downstairs. And I would drink it at my desk. What did I need a lid for? So it was like these slow kind of 
realizing spaces where I didn't need to have this garbage, right? So I just was like, okay, we're going to start with not using coffee lids. And then that just brings you to more self-awareness. So like the next thing is like, I'm at Sephora. Do I need a bag for this little lipstick? Do I? No, I could I could throw it into my purse. That's where it's going to go eventually. So that's how it started. And then it snowballed, right? Like snowballs, you go into like anxiety because you like get to a place where you're like, at the grocery store and you're like, everything is made of plastic. What do I do? I can't eat anymore. But I wheeled myself back from there. And I just became slowly more conscious and slowly took steps towards reducing what I was putting back into the planet. And it took a while. And I had a friend who said, it's going to take a while. Like, it'll be a year before you realize you don't have as many plastic bags under your sink. And I noticed after, I, th- I think she was right, it was like a year that I wasn't taking out the trash as often because it wasn't filling up because I was just not using so much disposable material. I find that process fascinating because I think a lot of people, when they start to analyze that waste process that they do have, they kind of go through that same journey. But the timeline of a year, I, I find that intriguing because most people will think, oh, well, let's just do this quickly and let's flip a switch. But you're actually creating more waste in that process anyway. And you also get a bigger look into kind of your consumption styles and how much you're actually consuming. I think as you do it slowly, what you kind of find was something that was a little bit surprising that you cut down on that you noticed a big difference with? So two things. One, I did not know that aluminum foil does not ever in the world biodegrade. Like you just, you're so used to using it for like putting leftovers away or like cooking in your air fryer, whatever. So it was really interesting to learn that. And then to just kind of, again, become self-aware and realize like, I don't need this extra layer. I could just wash the air fryer. Like, that's okay. I could, I could just wash it, right? <laughs> you get so used to this, like we're fed, like everything should be fast and easy, but it takes like two extra seconds. So that was really interesting to learn. So when did you kind of make that decision of, okay, I actually need to or want to leave this job enough that I'm going to make a leap and go for something? That is another step in and of itself for sure. Yes. I had COVID February, 2020. And myths of COVID, like fevers, all the things, I lost my sense and smell. And I'm just like reevaluating my life. And I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I don't regret it. I don't regret all the experiences, all the things I learned. Like you said, like I've been in these global companies, I've seen so much, which really, really helps with cadre because I can budget, for example. Like someone mentioned that the other day, I was like, Oh yeah, that's true. At some point I didn't even know what a budget was. Like I didn't know you had a spreadsheet. I didn't know you thought about these things. <laughs> but in COVID, I was like, how can I do something that actually makes me happy and helps the world? And so I was listening to this Gabby Bernstein podcast and she was like, When you talk to your friends, you get really, really excited about three things. Like you will notice you continuously talk about the same three things. So in those three things, that's where your passion lies. And so I did that exercise and I'm such a weirdo and I love telling people where I got clothes from. I'm like, oh my God, I got it from this store. It was this much. This is the brand. This is like what I love about it. And I was already on this like waste reduction, right? And I had started probably six months before that 
really getting into sustainable clothes. It was like the summer before I found this pair of board shorts made from recycled plastic bottles. And I was like, what, what you can do that. And then I started to explore and I was like, oh, so I don't have to like wear tan linen dresses if I want to save the planet. And I started to find these really cute brands and high quality product, truly sustainable, like end to end. Like I had these cowboy boots and we have them on the site. They're made from apple leather with corn glue. Like, what is that? And so I was like, you know what? This is the part like in how I built this where they're like, if it doesn't exist, make it. And I was like, okay, let's try it. I also told myself, I was like, and I've told myself this in every part of my career, like people will tell you that you're going to be pigeonholed. Like if you take this job, you can't do that. You can't go here. You can't do this. That is completely false. All your skills are transferable, like anything, right? For example, being a lawyer in a company, I have to basically sell my ideas of saving the company and its risk to the business people, right? I have to essentially sell a product to a certain customer. That's a skill set. And your product and customer will change, but that doesn't matter whether you're selling milk or you're selling ideas, you're still selling it to a specific customer. So I just was like, okay, you can do this. I gave myself two years. I was like, you know what? If it doesn't work, it's fine. You know, Friendster didn't kill it. Facebook did. So (laughs) it's okay. You can try. And if you don't succeed or it's not making you happy, you can go back to being a lawyer. And that was kind of a nice mental cushion. (laughs) We launched seven months ago, but the actual like from day one of really putting hiring my first employee and putting time into it, we are 13 months in. Outstanding. I still have, what is it, nine months before I have to make a decision. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I I think that's the excitement of building something though, is you almost give yourself a timeline because I found that usually in any type of kind of pressure situation, the performance tends to go up and the pressures come in many different ways, whether it's a deadline for the company you work for or, you know, whatever your job is, like you said, the skill set kind of coming across. So it's more that discipline and setting those goals and then just hitting them. I'd say like when you started the business though, was your first step, what do I want to actually do in the fashion space? Because I mean, there are so many different facets inside that space, but then also you have to also decide, you know, what do you want to do first? Do you want to find the retailer or do you want to just white label? That's a great question. So I wanted it to be as what I thought easy as possible. Like I'm not a designer. I'm not an artist. That just seemed very daunting to create a line. I figured, and it's something I do, I think about all the time is like play to your greatest strengths and mine, it was shopping. Okay. It was like finding the brand. So it was like, I will just aggregate them like Whole Foods. They just bring you all of these great brands and you go in there. And that was actually my first thought was if there was a Whole Foods version for sustainable clothes where no one had to do the work, but everything you touch in there is good for you. And it looks like a regular grocery store. It doesn't have that like dingy kind of natural food store feeling, right? Like you don't go there for like just acai berries. You're like, I'm grocery shopping here if that's where you're going, right? So that was, I was like, okay, this seems like the most manageable approach to getting my message out there, which is 
shop sustainable and you can do it while being stylish. And it is a chicken before the egg problem, like any business, right? But getting brands, like finding brands, bringing them on board, that is the easier part. The harder part is getting the consumers to understand sustainability and to make that conscious, caring decision to purchase differently. So that's where I started. Yeah. And how did you curate the brands? Because I mean, even within the space, suddenly sustainability is front of mind. And so you have a lot of brands that are hopping on the train doing different things, and they're not necessarily kind of showing that holistic supply chain. I mean, where did you start on that discernment of those brands? Because to be that brand that's trusted, you got to be the one that's trusted too. That comes from me as a consumer. Like I've fallen for greenwashing. I've been on brands where I'm like, oh, this pant says it's sustainable. You dig into like the description and it's just the button that's made out of bamboo. So I was like, okay, I need transparency. I need to know what this product is made of. And in that, I personally for like, I don't know how long ago this happened, but I still remember when Gap had like this fire in their factories in Bangladesh and there were all these garment workers that suffered and it came out that like how garment workers are being treated, their conditions, all this stuff about child labor, just eventually after, I'm not saying that was related to Gap, but I started to hear more and more. So I had this personal connection to like making sure that the people that make the clothes are also taken care of. So for me, sustainability kind of fell on love for the planet, love for the people. And so we have three pillars, the transparency aspect. I want you to have as much information as I have, which also creates brand accountability. And then I want to ensure the people making the clothes for us that we put on and love are taken care of. So fair labor is our second pillar. And then third, it came back to this waste reduction. It came back to like where I started my journey, which also is how I found out like fashion is the second largest polluter. They have like, what is it? I used to know this off the top of my head. I'm having a moment. It's like (laughs) 1.2 billion tons of waste annually. So it's something insane. Okay. And that's from manufacturing waste, consumers buying and not using product, this whole, what do they call it? Like micro seasons now, you're putting out so much product and the overconsumption that's fed to us through social media. It even goes down into how much water is used, right? Like can we use recycled water? Because making one pair of jeans takes 1,800 gallons of water. And we have a couple of denim brands and they use recycled water to offset that, right? And it was kind of like, this goes back to the lawyer in me, like everything has to be very specific and planned, right? Like you can't just be like, we're sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that? What are you targeting? So I brought it down to those three pillars. Well, and I think that's really great that you boiled it down to those three because it, it really does paint more of a holistic picture of what sustainability really is about. And it is about humans at the end of the day. And it is about waste. And can we use a better product that uses an already existing waste stream to create another product? You know, it's, and, you know, the more and more people that, you know, I talk to, you find that a lot of it's just a good business decision. Like it's, you know, if you can, why not? And I think that that's becoming more part of the conversation is it's, if you can do better, why not? 
Yeah. And we spoke about this before, like the planet really provides you with everything you need. Food waste, for example, huge issue. Why are we not composting? The planet can recycle its own food. Mm-hmm. Every time people talk about that, I'm like, but the solution is so simple. It exists. Like We just need to compost. And when it comes to garments, there's cotton from silk, wool. All of this exists for us to use. Now, going back to the love aspect, we need to love the animals and how we extract material from them. That's a whole problem. Yeah, I think it kind of comes down to quality at the end of the day, too. I mean, part of it is, you know, your refresh cycle. How do you get garments that will actually last a long time? But more so, will the garment itself last? Because I think the bigger concern is you can buy something out of recycled materials, but if it doesn't last, then it doesn't actually serve the purpose. And so, where does that fall into the equation for you guys? Because we're still very, like, sustainability as a whole is very young. We've taken the approach that right now we are very focused on the waste reduction. So if you're creating materials, fabrics from recycled materials, we will have you on the site. And if you're using natural fibers that are biodegradable, because we also just have this trash issue, right? Like we have all of this plastic in the ocean. Now, getting that plastic into fabrics, that's a whole separate issue of what is that the right thing, best thing, like you're saying? And and what happens? Is it going to last or is it just going to become trash again in like a year? And if so, why are we spending not only time, energy, but the chemicals that go into making that, right? So I think there is definitely a lot of space for improvement and a lot more that we need to look into. The thing is, we right now just need consumers and the people to be aware that there is this issue with waste and materials and garments and fashion. And if we can support brands moving in the right direction, that's our goal, right? Because eventually they're working essentially against a system that's set up for them to fail, a sustainable brand, right? Because everything else in fashion is not built for sustainability. So if they're trying... Let's give them room to try and they will be able to improve that process and eventually be able to create garments that last a while. And I mean, it's a good question. We quality test all our products, but we're very young. So I don't know if a recycled product will last 10 years. Right, right. And how's the adoption process been for the consumer? I mean, as they start to look at your brands that you've curated and the partners that you have? I mean, how's the adoption rate of their wardrobe changed? So that's a great question. What we found is that consumers are really, really interested in not like when we say transparency, they're really interested in the learning because they're getting thrown this word sustainability and it just paints this like, okay, what is that? It's like in the beginning, we were like, what's organic? I don't know. Why should I care? Right. And then we got to this place where people are like, here's your dirty dozen list. Like, don't eat these vegetables and fruits because of this, this, and this. So we're kind of in that space. And consumers want to understand why they should care. And we try to give them these little bite-sized educational pieces to like, hey, you could buy this pair of jeans and it's cute, great style. We have something either very similar or exactly the same looking style-wise. That took 1,800 gallons of water. This took about 
30% of that. So essentially, we're offering the consumer that education plus staying um, trended with the styles that exist right now. And that's where we see the biggest conversion. It's empowering them with knowledge without creating ego anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of that intersection that you're meeting is you have to kind of remove that friction of understanding. I mean, if you're throwing really complex figures, unless you were in that industry, you're going to look past it anyway. And so if you can just say it's 3x or 4x different, it's easily quantifiable, but then it's matched with, hey, here's the solution. It removes three steps of that process to actually get where the consumer is trying to go. And so I think you guys have nailed that. Where was kind of the first category that you kind of wanted to go down in terms of how to fill out the store? So I had a list of brands of products that I already owned. So that was like the first list of things. I was like, okay, I want all of these brands. But I hired an amazing merchandiser. That was my first hire. So I, again, lawyer, no idea how this works in terms of... I didn't even know how you get clothes into a store. Like my first piece of paper that I wrote out, like it was a list of questions of like, okay, so you want to do this. So like, what do you need to know? And it was literally like, okay, so do you buy clothes? Where do you buy clothes from? And we use dropship, but like, can you consign them? Like, how does this work? How far in advance do you have to talk to the brand? Like I had no idea. So I hired someone, again, playing to my strengths and then knowing my weaknesses brought on someone who had all of this experience down to like what styles people want to buy versus like what fits are really going to work for them. Like she says things to me like, oh, yeah, I don't know we thought about that. (laughs) (laughs) So it kind of started with my list and then went into, we decided we would start with apparel and then we would expand. So we started with apparel And then we brought on some shoes, we brought on some undergarments, we recently launched jewelry. And so it's like step by step, right? We just want to kind of grow the product assortment and grow the brands. Yeah, that's outstanding. And I think when you're sourcing the products, I mean, you mentioned the drop shipping idea. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, people don't think about the impact of that. If you have to consign or carry inventory, you're still shipping twice once to once to you and then another to the consumer rather than just the one from the manufacturer over and so kind of building those relationships to where you guys can do that you guys are making a further impact just on the business model and that is a great great point like it is you know you don't want to send it twice along the chain even with our returns we we went through this whole thing where i was like okay but if we have the consumer return to us then i have to ship it again to the brand right so that's like two steps two shipments two carbon emissions. Now, I'm not going to pretend like we're a global economy. I wish we could be much more local as a planet, but we're not. And so we can't fully eliminate this shipping carbon emission piece, which again goes back to, you know, when I sat down and said like, what can we tackle that will have an impact? Let's tackle waste. And so we do do things where we're like offsetting by planting trees, Right now, we're working with One Tree Planted. We try to work with brands who are using carbon-neutral shipping. So we do what we can, but we can eliminate a little. That problem still exists. Yeah, and I think that goes a little bit into this concept that you can't necessarily shift consumer 
behavior overnight. So people are going to continue to buy things. People are going to continue to ship things all over the world. It's how can you improve that system as that transition's made. And I think sometimes brands get a little bit of a bad rap when they make a decision to still go international or something like that. But at the end of the day, you still have a business to run. And that's a great point. Like right now, the focus with everything related to the environment is consumer awareness, right? We cannot make a change unless people are aware of what is happening and what they should try to change, right? And just in fashion alone, like you as a consumer have so much power. You have this wallet, you have this money that you can use to stand up and say, no, I am going to support this brand that is being more conscious, more aware, ethically friendly, like all of those things. And the more people that are standing up and saying, okay, this is what I'm choosing, the other brands and companies will be like, okay, we need to make changes, right? Because we live in this capitalist society where everything at a business is about the bottom line. But if you start to lose that customer because they are not interested in what you're selling, you as a brand have to change what you're doing. So right now, we just, like you said, we can't solve everything. We also don't want to dump a ton of eco anxiety on everyone because you lift that lid a little. I know you know. It's like, oh my God, how did we get here? Why am I here? What can I do? I just need to go live in a cave and like, yeah. make, like grow my own food. I mean, yeah, the eco anxiety argument is definitely a valid one. I think the industry has kind of come at it with like, we have to do something or else the world's over. And you suddenly almost panic for a second. You're like, oh my gosh, let me do my part. And then you're like, well, my 10 neighbors aren't. And then you realize that there is a certain level of acceptance of that. And when you can educate it from a perspective of curiosity and can you try something different, I think you get a lot more of that adoption from the whole neighborhood because it's a seemingly easier thing to accomplish than the sudden huge shift that people aren't comfortable with. And that is so true. Like as I started my journey and I would just be in my own apartment, like my best friend was over and she noticed that I would use these compost bags in the garbage, in the trash. Now, I'm going to be very honest. I would dump everything that I wasn't composting. If I actually became, do compost like what you can in New York City, which doesn't include bones, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so... I started using these bags I found. I found them on Amazon. Okay, I couldn't find them at the local grocery store. So I had to make a decision like I'm going to support Amazon because they're giving me access to this bag that because the plastic bags that don't compost won't biodegrade, right? They kind of stand in between where we want the apple you threw in there to compost itself. It can't because that plastic bag is not going to compost. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we've created this layer. So I thought, and I still have not figured out if like, there's no like, separate trash pickup for these compost bags, I just use them. And I'm like, okay, at least at least it's not a plastic. Bag, okay, this will disintegrate. There might be plastic in there from, you know, stuff you buy at the grocery store that I can't change, but it's something. So she was like, oh, like she, I went to, she was like, oh, you use these like weird green bags. Like, what is it for? So I told her and then she's like, oh, okay. And it's just like, you don't even realize that you don't have to actively tell people like, hey, I only use bamboo toothbrushes. 
we'll be on a trip and someone will be like, oh, what's that? And you're like, oh, it's, you know, this bamboo toothbrush. And it's just like, you tell them about it. And then the next time you see them, they have one and you're like, oh, okay. And then they <laughs> tell someone else and you're like, okay, this might work. Even going back to we as consumers hold so much power and change, even the fact that brands are talking about sustainability, like big brands are bringing it up, whether they're greenwashing it or not, they are aware that people are starting to kick, right? So you can feel that in the behavior and fashion that it is something that is top of mind, whether or not it's done correctly, we won't go into that. But you as consumers are raising enough concern in some capacity that brands are starting to care. They're making like, I think, was it Adidas or Nike that made a sneaker out of recycled materials? Like, Yeah, Adidas. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they're hearing you. Yeah. And I think that that's part of seeing the progress, I think, is the tangible impact of something. And I think kind of showing that progress is important for the consumer to actually want to continue to do it too. Because I think some people that are maybe more unwilling to make it, make some sort of change in their life, whatever it may be, it kind of takes some adoption time and you want to have that reward of something happening. And I think it was interesting when you see the way technology educates people, when you get an app or anything like that, you have this whole educational process of here's how it works and here, let's give you a reward and let's gamify it. And I think, you know, you're starting to see that kind of in normal consumer behaviors or seeing can I carbon offset my shipping? You're just giving people the easy option to just make those changes. And I think that is needed for kind of a push forward. Yeah. The more digestible it is, the less work and friction you take out for the consumer, the less guilt. Then it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, like, why not? Right? Like, I bought a pair of Toms a long time ago, because I was like, oh, they donate shoes. Like, why not? I need shoes. I need some comfortable shoes. This is going to help. Warby Parker, they got me because, again, they donate, right? Like, every pair you get, someone else gets a pair. Like, why not? I need glasses. I didn't have to put any research or effort into it, but I felt good when I made those purchases. And that's what we want consumers to feel. We don't want you to feel like, and, and I think as a society, we shouldn't be pushing. And this goes back to, it's not the consumer's fault that we are here, right? Like they didn't, you and I did not make plastic bags and plastic water bottles and just decide that like, it's more cost effective to put everything in a plastic jar. But here we are. We didn't decide that everything, you know, I don't know the percentage, but so much clothing is made of polyester. We didn't decide that. We just were like, okay, I need a shirt. And now it's like, oh my God, I have to change this. No, you raise your voice and the brands have to change. Yeah. And I think a lot of that process too, I mean, I don't think it's entirely the fault of the people who created plastic either, because at the time it was the best solution that they saw in the innovation that can help get more people fed, get food shipped better. I mean, there, there are a lot of advantages to it. And so you can see how society just kind of like took off, but you don't see necessarily the long-term impact of it. And hindsight's always twenty twenty. And so how can you kind of just shift with how all this stuff is kind of shifting and changing, whether it's material science or packing? I mean, there's companies now where you can ship using shrimp shells and it's basically yeah. foam packaging that's made out of shrimp shells. So you're I, you, it forces that. more of a way for innovation. Oh, I love that. But you're so right. Like at the time, 
plastic was innovative, right? So now we have to use that same passion and creativity and energy to create shrimp shells. Yeah. I mean, I think we're kind of on an interesting frontier with not only the consumer, but the producers of goods is that you're having this shift in how can you make it? And the consumer side, I mean, Gen Z and you know the next generation, it's going to be, okay, well, what does your product do that's besides the thing that it does for me? Does it help someone else? Does it lessen waste? You know, I think the buyer mindset is starting to shift a lot. I'm such a huge fan of Gen Z. They will not take anything. I'm just like, yes, you guys, like stand up for all the things that we didn't stand up for. <laughs> yeah. But you made an interesting point. Like there is also, I just read, or actually someone sent it to me, that Dole has partnered, I don't know with who, to take all the banana peel waste and the partner is creating banana leather. How cool is that? That's fantastic. Well, and you have this you have this advancement in technology. I mean, you wouldn't have been able to make banana leather, I mean, 20 years ago, at least not in a way that you could feasibly run a business and make products. And I think you're just finding this fascinating space of materials. I mean, you're even seeing it in clothing. You're seeing just so many different materials being used that it's almost opening a whole new world on the fashion side too. It is. It's like kind of like in my mind, I'm like, okay, this like veganism thing also led to all of this plant-based materials that like cactus leather. Didn't think about that. And I'm still stuck on apple leather and corn blue. Yeah. <laughs> there is so much. There's grape leather. Like can fruits do it all? Maybe. Maybe. So what materials are you finding most interesting right now? Is it those two? For me, like I really, really enjoy this plant-based material, like how it's going in and becoming leathers, and like you see this finished product, and it it's really amazing. Like it, my cowboy boots, like you could not tell that they're not real leather, and they're so comfortable. So it's like they have innovated and tested quality, and it's amazing for me. That is the coolest thing I think, and then the other part of me that like. And I think since I was a kid, I was like a weird naturalist. Like I was always thinking like, was there a toothpaste when like, you know, Jesus was around, how'd they brush their teeth? <laughs> so I always think about this and like, there has to be something that like the planet makes that you use to brush your teeth. Like there's no way, right? And so I was raised Muslim and in like Pakistan, the Middle East, they use this, it's actually a branch from a tree. And the more you use it, the tip becomes like a brush and they use it to brush their teeth and they don't have to, they don't use toothpaste with it. And it's like all antibacterial and cleans everything like coconut oil. It does some, oh, another cool thing. Raspberry oil is actually a sunscreen. It's like what? 10% sunscreen. Yeah. So no like, way. These are the kinds of things for me from childhood have been really interesting. So to see more of what the planet provides. And then you go back to like cotton, silk, all of these materials that exist for us to use. And I think it's really nice to see us go back to ways in which we're not harming or hurting the planet when we're extracting the material. So organic cotton, for example, uses a lot less water, doesn't use chemicals. So it's those things that I love seeing. Yeah. And where where do you think that kind of naturalist mindset came from? I mean, was it just kind of being surrounded by it? 
No, because my family, I was raised eating like Doritos, drinking high C, every sugary soup. So I was raised, and I say this to people, like on red dye number nine. I'm unclear how like my insides have not collapsed. It was this personal curiosity. I just always would be like, yeah, but like, I think there has to be something else. And I'll go into these weird rabbit holes. Like one day I was like, I wonder when shampoo was invented. Like what did people use before? And because I got a dog and like dogs don't wash their hair every other day and he's not gross and greasy. And so I'm like, okay, so like, what's the deal with shampoo? Thank you for the internet. I learned that it was something that was invented in the 70s and then marketed very hard. Like before that, it was just soap. So do you need a separate shampoo that and this like sudsy aspect is something we've kind of been conditioned to think is like what you need to feel clean. But I honestly, I don't know why I've been really curious since I was a kid. Wow. And I think that natural curiosity, though, that kind of drives you to answer some of those questions. I mean, why isn't there a store that exists that you can trust all the brands? I mean, I think there's that curiosity. Where is it kind of leading you now? I mean, what are you most curious about in terms of building Cadre? What I'm curious to see goes to being a lawyer is to see like in Europe, they have a lot of mandates on fashion that will go into effect in 2025 that will push for more sustainable production and manufacturing. I'm really curious to see what the U.S. does and like how the people like Remake is this company that's really pushing with the New York Fashion Act and change. I want to see what's done from the top down because that's where we will see quick and impactful change. So I'm curious to see what our government does. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you see a lot of that? I mean, European fashion generally drives a lot of what the rest of the world tends to follow. So do you kind of see that going to be a natural influence where you kind of got to get on board or else you're going to really fall behind? Or is it just you welcome the products from Europe and now you join the crowd anyway? That's a really good question. And I agree with you, it leads, but it leads from a style perspective, right? So that's where it will be interesting. Like, yes, do we just start shopping sustainable brands from other countries? And we carry brands like we carry brands from Spain and Australia because they are doing amazing things. But I don't know if the consumer will follow and just go to that market, which would be a great slap in the face for the US market to be like, mm-hmm. okay, well, you're not going to do it, then we'll go here and then we will have to change faster in the US. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think you notice there's a lot more, I guess, durability of goods or European culture around fashion, I think is just much different than the US side of things. And then you think about how the global economy works and you're seeing there's there's an opportunity to shift things. And I think you guys are doing a really great job at that. Has it been the consumer awareness has been the biggest challenge or is it really that there's other stores popping up that are sustainable too? Great question. So first of all, the more stores that pop up, the better. Okay. Like I believe that we can all exist and help and it's great. It will bring more awareness. I actually, early on when I had the idea, you would have people be like, yeah, but like, why can't like someone else just do that? And I sat down and I thought about it. I was like, yeah, why can't someone else do that? Like, what am I doing? This is so stupid. (laughs) I thought about it and it's this like lack mentality that we're conditioned to believe in. But if you take a step back, 
let's look at major retailers. There's Nordstrom's, there's Bloomingdale's, there's Macy's, there's Saks. Like, you know, there's like a price differentiation, but there's so many of them. They all do the same thing, right? And then you look at designers. Every year, there's like new designers coming into the space. We don't decide because a new designer came in, like Christian Siriano is here, so we forgot that Ralph Lauren exists. They coexist and it keeps growing. Same thing with lawyers. Every year there's a new class from law schools that graduates and they get jobs. And it's not a reality that we can't continue to have more. So I think that is something that we should have more. Yeah. I think that you hit on an important point in that. It is kind of a collective effort kind of across the board. The more businesses, the better. I think the model is kind of shifting to you have more of this awareness around brands. And I think consumer awareness is a huge thing. Are you guys finding that you need that consumer awareness to tip the scale? Or is it just that you have to stand out more than the other people necessarily to run the business? I think it's consumer awareness because sustainability, anything that's like change driven comes from a community, right? It comes from people making a shift and that snowballing into change and bigger change and bigger change, right? Like, let's go back to organic for a second. In the beginning, it was this term, like sustainability. What is it? You keep hearing it. Like, you know, your mom might be like, oh my God, this, it's organic. You don't know, right? And then we start to get more information. And now it's just such a part of our everyday lives to consider eating organic, right? Whether, and again, there is a cost pro, like in an issue for organic food being a bit more, but you think about it. I think everyone at least is aware and there are a lot, there is a big shift. And now, you know, your regular grocery store has an organic section, right? And I've seen my, from my childhood grocery store, that section has grown. You will find like the randomest things will be organic now. And you're like, oh, that's cool. So we love empowering the customer and that's where we will see the biggest shift. I think standing out is great, but this isn't some new technology that I created that's like so specific. It's it's me just being like, hey, here's a store that's easy for you to shop at, to buy better shop conscious. So it's really that. I also wanted to tell you, oh, this is important. <laughs> the name Cadre... So the reason the company is called Cadre Style is Cadre actually means a small group of people making a change. So for us, that's kind of two-sided, right? So it's the brands that are making a change in the way they produce garments. And then it's our consumers that are making a change in their purchasing power. And that's how the change will really happen. I love the sourcing of that name. That's amazing. That's the interesting part is it's in the DNA of what you guys believe in. And that's what I think is the differentiating factor. When you go to the site, you can tell that you guys are all in. I mean, it's not just like a, you know, hey, we we got a certification here and we believe in that. It's no, this is through and through what we believe in and what we stand for. Yeah, it's very personal to me. I'm very passionate about it. Just it's important to me as a person that even if I am not the market leader in this space that even if it starts conversation and someone else comes along and I'm the friendster and they're the Facebook, the world is changing and that's what matters to me. It's about healing the planet. Yeah. 
Yeah. And what's been your favorite part of this whole process and the business and starting it? And because it goes pretty quickly and you most of the time you don't stop to kind of go, hey, what have I accomplished so far? But you guys have accomplished a ton in a very short period of time. So what's kind of been your favorite part? It's learning marketing. Marketing is such... (laughs) People say like, oh, marketing, it has like 7,000 jobs under it. But learning the different like parts of marketing and my favorite, favorite, favorite thing (laughs) is creating like the little catchy, like jingly marketing statements. (laughs) I'll like wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, yeah, where are your vegetables? That's a good Uh, one. (laughs) That's fantastic. It's that, yeah. And it's like being creative, which lawyers don't get to be creative. So it's like a whole other area of my brain, of my personality that I get to explore. Yeah. What was that like when you actually made that shift? I mean, to have to go live in the other side of things. So it was fun. It was interesting. You can ask anyone on my team from day one to like today where I have changed in this like marketing presentation creativity aspect. Like the first deck that I created was so boring. It was like the ugliest colors you could imagine. I had a friend who was like, can I please change this? I was like, yes, please, please, please. And now I much more creative, much more artistic. Like it's just over time doing different things and it's step by step. Like you'll try things out. I've learned so much in Canva. I'm learning more and more every day, but you grow and you change and you are so different than who you were before. Like before I was much more risk averse because that was my job. It was like, hey, we need to tell the company what all the risks are. In my own company, it's like, not that... I mean, I worked in fintech, so it's like financially regulated, kind of very different industry. Mm. <laughs> this is fashion. You can take more risks. There's not like a regulator in the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've seen that in my personality. It's like a bit more relaxed. And it's like, yeah, like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's try that. Whereas before I'd be like, okay, but like, what's going to happen if we try that? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that's part of the ebb and flow you learn as the business and and you know that it's a progression, just like this whole process. But that decision to kind of change that process, you can make at any point. You could wake up tomorrow and say, hey, I want to change my mind on, on how I want to approach things. And I think that the fact that you took the leap into build cadre style in a short period of time, it's impressive. Congrats. Thank you. Sometimes I don't know how I did it in that short period of time. Like I just went with this like date, the date that I told my first hire was October 1st of 2020. Okay. And I said, Earth Day 2021, we are going to have a live site. That is a ridiculously short amount of time. Not only to get a site up, to have like the branding of it, to create all your social, um, to get brands, not just to like want to work with you, but they have to sign a contract. You have to like pick the product. You have to onboard that. Like, and we like any product, you know, you're always going to miss that timeline, but we launched May 17th. So we weren't that far off. Wow. That's super impressive. I mean, especially not having done it before either. That's super fast timeline. And we also had a major hiccup. Like we worked, we signed up with this one company who's going to develop the site. They didn't tell us till January that their version of what would launch in April was like, basically like saying, hey, I'm selling you a car, but like it just has wheels and a door. 
And we're like, we can't do that. So we had to, in January, shift to Shopify to like find new developers. So even with all that, and I will say this is like a very spiritual woo-woo thing, but I really believe that the planet wants country. Like the universe has made everything, even the things that are difficult lessons, but we've kept moving forward and we keep meeting more and more amazing people in this space that are like here to help us, whether they're advisors, mentors, even the founders of the brands, like incredible, incredible people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge reflection of just the community in general. I mean, it's a really supportive community and one where everybody wants everybody else to succeed because it creates a bigger impact for everybody else. And that's the coolest part about it. Yeah, you're right. We all want the planet to succeed. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so what's kind of what are you looking forward to this year with Cadre Style? What are you guys kind of looking to accomplish? We are bringing on so many new brands. We're really excited. So that's like our major, major task for this year to really just give consumers a depth of brand, a deeper product assortment. We do want to bring on a luxury shop, which I'm hoping for in Q4, but you know, we just get through Q1 first. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about this and planning the whole year out. So that's our biggest goal. And then we really just want to continue educating consumers. We really just want to be able to, even if you take nothing away from Kadra, you, you never purchase anything. If you just read a fact and it sits with you at some point in your life, like that same way that Gap Factory fire sat inside of me for so long, and like I would say over a decade later, it was something that is now embedded in this company, right? So at some point, you will have something come up that you've learned and, and it will resonate. So I think that's my biggest goal is to just inspire people. <laughs> Yeah. Hire them to. Very cool. Well, thank you for taking the time and just hopping on the podcast and talking all about Cadre Style. I mean, I think that your story is, it's so unique in the sense that you were born with this kind of innate thing to kind of be curious about nature. But the way you've applied it, I think is truly incredible. And I think an area that really needs, needs a change and a shift. I mean, fashion, you said is the number two. So if it is, which it is, then, you know, that's a really huge place to make an impact too. So congrats. And, you know, thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sustainable Goat podcast. I'm your host, Steve Kastenham. With each episode, we can further define what it means to create a truly sustainable and resilient future. I think the new status is to show that, that you actually care. You want to drive change and you want to be part of a sustainable future. People fight for what they love. Let's really all start for a small but significant shift in the way we live, we consume, and we plan our life. Join us at sustainablegoat.com.